Welcome to the Heart and Mind, a podcast from Country Club Christian Church. I'm Mike Graves, and we're joined again this time by Dr. David May, my colleague for many years, professor of New Testament at Central Seminary. And we're continuing our discussion of his presentation titled New Doors into the Book of Revelation. So welcome, colleagues. It's good to be back. We, um, we didn't actually in the first episode get into those doors, so I want us to do that. Um, we may not cover all of them, but one of the doors for entering into Revelation is that of worship. I think a lot of people mean different things by that term now, and I think there's a discrepancy even between how the New Testament uses that word. So say more about Revelation and worship, this door called worship. Okay. Some might see this as actually the heart and thesis of what the writer was wanting to get across. Because he is writing to a group of individuals who are followers of the Lamb, who worship God. God is the center of focus and worship in Revelation. That's why in chapter 4 you have the one who sits upon the throne, God. You have the four living creatures around the throne, worshiping the one who sits on the throne, and then the 24 elders who are worshiping. Everything focuses around God on the throne. So it's a very theocentric book of worship. And that's so crucial because the opposite of that is, and the question is, will you worship the beast? Mm. You have two options mm. in Revelation, to worship the one who sits upon the throne or to worship the beast. And basically this book comes down to who will you give your ally? Uh, and, and beast being, aka the emperor, the, the, the Rome empire, emperor, emperor the Rome, uh, all that that is associated with with empire. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, where will you give your alliance to? Mm. Is your allegiance to Christ, the Lamb, and the one who sits upon the throne, or will it be to the beast? And that question is continually put before people here. Will you take the mark of the beast? Well, this isn't a literal mark. This is, will you capitulate and give worship to Rome? Mm -hmm. Will you uh, offer sacrifices to Rome, to the emperor, to the city gods and goddesses? To whom will you give your allegiance? Mm -hmm. So it's really kind of goes down to who are you going to pledge allegiance to? Mm -hmm. And to pledge allegiance to the Lamb will, is the authentic way of living, but it's always going to bring you into conflict with Rome. And this is why there are those who have lost their lives. That when you open that, when you open the seal, you open that uh, fifth seal, you have these saints who have lost their lives on behalf of the gospel underneath the altar. Well, why? Because of the testimony mm -hmm. of what they've given. Why is John on the island of Patmos? Because of his testimony of the Word and of the Lamb. And so that's the question. Will you, will you testify? Will you worship the one who sits upon the throne in, in heaven, or will you worship the one who sits upon the throne on earth? So that fits really nicely with the, the large number of hymns, songs that are in Revelation. I know one of the lines you really like is that uh, winners write history, but the losers write their songs. And these are 
some interesting hymns. Can you say something about those? Sure. Uh, when you think about the New Testament, of the 27 books in the New Testament, Revelation is the hymn book of the New Testament. In many of the chapters, you will find chanting or songs that will be offered up by the 24 elders, the four living creatures, uh, the myriads and myriads of angels. Singing, it just rings throughout this book. And we're not the only ones who have noticed this. The, those writers, uh, such as the Hallelujah Chorus, oh, yeah, Handel, yeah. Handel, they have noticed this and they've incorporated and put tunes to these. And, mm -hmm. Well, uh, part of this is a celebration in identifying who the one who sits upon the throne is and an acknowledgement of the worthiness and honor and glory and power that goes with with the one who is the creator. But hymns, I think, encourage folks. Hmm. Um, I sometimes use the illustration that in the antebellum South, the spirituals hmm. that were created and that were sung by those who were in slavery were songs that inspired them and encouraged them in the midst of incredible oppression and and ironically if you look at many of these songs they draw their themes from revelation mm. because revelation is the sure. it, it, it's about underdogs mm -hmm. and about hoping for the real reality that is out there with god being in control even though the masters mm -hmm. they look like they're in control and all powerful so uh, I think there's a real appeal for these songs for sure. for people yeah. in worship. Yeah, and slavery was a, a major issue in the Roman Empire as well. Yeah, exactly. So one of the doors um, that I think would be very surprising to people, I think Revelation's full of surprises, is uh, what you call the door of non-violence. I think people would just almost laugh because they would say, "You got to be kidding! There's nothing but blood everywhere and swords and dragons." So how is it possible to think of Revelation as nonviolent? Well, I think there are two reasons why people do think it's violent, and that's because, one, the references to blood mm -hmm. that occur throughout this work. In fact, if you want to see all the references, I encourage people to take their book of Revelation, read through it from beginning to end, have a little highlighter, and just highlight the references that you encounter to blood. And there's many of them. Do they have to use a red highlighter? <laughs> I would let them use a yellow one. Okay. <laughs> but they, um, they'll find out that lots of references, but the references are never to the enemies of God being crushed and, and uh, violence being committed toward them. The, the violence that happens in Revelation is always to the followers of the Lamb, to Christians. Mm. It is always violence that has happened to Christ hmm. and so the violence is never what followers do but it's always what happens to the followers so you will see uh, the blood of Christ mentioned the blood of the saints mentioned and sometimes blood will be used to describe a color of the sea that turns to the color of blood but otherwise it's a reference that's made to hmm. uh, to followers so that's one reason people get this violent image. Another another reason they have a feeling of violent image in Revelation is because of some of the ways it's portrayed in contemporary interpretations. Mm -hmm. The Left Behind series, for example, right. uh, he, the author uses violence throughout to kind of capture and pull people in. It, it makes it almost like a 
action movie mm -hmm. where there's always some kind of violence. Schwarzenegger and yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. so that's one reason I think people are pulled into it. Plus, we sometimes have this misunderstanding of what is called the myth of redeeming violence. That violence, right makes right right, mm -hmm. and so we have this misunderstanding. But if you read Revelation very, very closely, you will see the early Christians in this book, the followers of the Lamb, never pick up once a sword, a weapon of any kind mm -hmm. to um, respond in violence. Mm -hmm. Never. And the Battle of Armageddon that people portray as this huge, terrible, horrible battle that crushes right. all the enemies, it takes place and is finished in two verses. <laughs> it's that quick. Mm -hmm. The one who sits upon the white horse, the lamb, opens his mouth, out comes the sword of his mouth, and it's over. That's mm -hmm. it. You don't see the armies arrayed with him engaged in this violent mm -hmm. battle. And so I think it's, it is a book that speaks to uh, how Christians were encouraged to act. Mm -hmm. And I think this goes back to one of the key phrases that happens in Revelation chapter chapter 1, where John is on the island of Patmos, and it says he's on the island of Patmos uh, because of the tribulation, he's on the island because of the kingdom, and he's on there because of, it says, patient endurance. But the translation I like to use on that last phrase is, he's on there for resistance. And it, it is resisting empire, resisting violence, but not countering it mm. with violence. Mm -hmm. Anytime you encounter violence with violence, it only inspires more violence. Yeah, I was thinking about that image. Is it early in four or five, somewhere in there, about he turns to look at the Lion of Judah, but it's a lamb which is just a brilliant, yeah. you know, it's kind of C.S. Lewis-like move. <laughs> yeah, it is brilliant. You expect one thing, mm -hmm. you turn and you see a lamb standing as though it has been slain. Yeah. And again, people listening to this podcast, if you want to capture that image in a vivid way, go online and put that image in and you will see that churches frequently use that as an image in their stained glass windows mm -hmm. of the lamb with a, a flag or standing, yeah, it's a very popular one. Well, another surprising door, <laughs> really surprising, you call the green door, as in ecologically responsible. Now, you admit right up front that viewing the author, John, as an environmentalist in our modern day sense of the word is a total stretch, but you do see a pattern of, of greenness, if we can use that word, um, so say more about that. Sure. Uh, it, well. Absolutely. I don't think that we see John consciously as thinking of himself as an echo prophet. He's not recycling. He's not recycling. He's not out on the island of Patmos protecting sea turtles. He's not doing those <laughs> kinds of things. But as he tells the story in Revelation, around the edges, between the lines, you can see there is a ecology or what I might call a creation sensitivity that's in this book. It first of all comes by the way he describes God. 
God is frequently described, most frequently described in this book, as creator. Creator of all things. Let me give you a good example. Chapter 4, we have the one who sits upon the throne, and surrounding him are the four living creatures. One with the face of a man, one with the face of an eagle, one with the face of an ox, and one the lion. face yeah. of the lion. So you've got all four of these. Well, that's a symbol of creation. Four is a number that was thought of as the world, the four corners of the earth. So you've got the sense that the world's gathered here, and you have the wild beast with the lion's face, you have the domesticated beast with the ox, face of the ox, then you have the birds of the air with the face of an eagle, then humanity. Mm -hmm. So all of the, all of humanity, all of creatures, all of creation is worshiping God. Mm. So uh, it, this book is not just anthropocentric, mm. it mm. is creation oriented. So if you read it carefully, you will see this emphasis on creation that runs throughout here. Mm. And creation is out there to almost save us. As I point out in chapter 12, you have this incredible image of this, uh, of this woman who is pregnant and is uh, saved from the dragon, the, the serpent of old, of ancient, the Satan, the images that are used here. And there's a lot of symbolism there about what the woman may represent. But she's pregnant. She is saved from the jaws of this uh, dragon. But she's saved by the earth because the dragon has poured out the water trying to cause chaos and to swallow up and drown the woman and the earth opens its mouth mm. and drinks it in. Mm. And I think that's a very interesting image of how the earth is, in a sense, saving mm -hmm. us. There was also a lot of propaganda within Roman mythology and narratives about creation, you know, like even previous under Nero there were these I don't know, folklores about that uh, animals would herd themselves and the crops would harvest themselves and there'd be bounty and, and, and revelation, you know, would be this counter narrative to say, no, God's the God of creation, not this. These emperors don't bring prosperity like that. Huh, it's interesting. Well, if you're, uh, if you're one of those listening and you're into ecology, read the uh, book of Revelation. That's an interesting door. There's one other door that in a way um, we're not entering but we need to talk about it um, it's called the door of rapture my hunch is that anyone listening to this podcast has heard that term even if they might not be able to define it or loosely define it uh, you and I have talked about this before how I was kind of uh, nurtured on this view and you know you get schooled into these charts and all of this stuff um, millennial views and tribulation, etc. Um, a lot of people would say, well, no, no, that I know that's in there. And uh, so let's talk a little bit about the door we really don't want to go through, the door of rapture. Okay. Well, one of the first things to, to mention here is if someone is wanting to do a little bit more reading in this area, mm -hmm. uh, there's a book that I would recommend. It's, it's a very good read. It's, it, it covers a lot of these areas that we will just touch upon. 
but it's by a woman by the name of Barbara Rossing, and her book is entitled Rapture Exposed. And she does an excellent job of illustrating where we have gone astray in looking and thinking about rapture being in Revelation. First of all, that word is never used in the book of Revelation. It doesn't occur there. Uh, it's a foreign concept that comes not in, really not in the biblical text. It's, it's something that's been imposed upon Revelation, and so what happens is we just lay a grid over the top of it and it becomes the paradigm by the way we read it. Mm -hmm. Rapture, the way people interpret it, is a form of escapism for particular Christians. And when they read it out of Revelation, often that rapture occurs at the end of chapter 4, and then 5, 6, and 7 and the rest is what happens after the Christians have been taken out of this world. And it's kind of left in chaos with all these non-Christians and, mm -hmm. and devils and beasts and all these things. But we don't have to worry because we're all safe in heaven watching this orgy that takes place uh, down below, rejoicing in all that's happening, which goes so against, I think, our Christian empathy and mm -hmm. compassion for others. Instead, Revelation is not about escaping the world but it's the ability in the midst of the world to have Christ with us and to suffer, yes, and perhaps even to lose one's life on behalf of the gospel. Mm -hmm. But one of the seven blessings in Revelation is blessed are those who lose their life on behalf of the gospel. Uh, it's one of the blessings. If it happens, you're blessed. Death is not the worst thing that can come into your life. Mm -hmm. And so Rapture has this idea of getting out of this situation, escaping mm -hmm. from it, and it, uh, it turns a good world into a bad world. Yeah. God created the world good, good, and the world continues to be good. Mm -hmm. uh, Barbara Rossing suggests that actually we've got this whole image of Rapture so wrong, it's not people escaping from this world to heaven, but it's heaven coming down to this world. And that certainly fits in with chapters 21 and 22, where a new heaven mm. and a new earth is here. Mm. It is a transformation. It's very much what we understand as resurrection in our own bodies, that we die and we are resurrected. And we're not a different person. Mm. We are a transformed person. Mm -hmm. uh, as Jesus' own resurrection, he's recognized, they know him. It's not a totally new person that I have to introduce myself to all over again. It's right. been totally destroyed, and right. now here's... That's, the destruction of the world is not something that Revelation highlights. This has been imposed upon it. Yeah. Oh, well, I think, you know, I mentioned how I was kind of nurtured in this when I came to faith. It's a system that you would never find on your own in the Bible. You have to be taught the system. You have to patch verses together from Ezekiel and Daniel and right. 1 Thessalonians right. and 1 Corinthians and Revelation. And you take all these little snippets and you create the system. And once you learn the system, you can find it. But nobody would ever find it on their own. Exactly. It's yeah. not organic to the book of Revelation. Exactly. It's a 
It is a system that was put together in the 1800s by a man by the name of Nelson Darby. And he came out of the Church of the Brethren. And he took a piecemeal, a Bible-proof perspective, putting all these things together to come up with these eras or dispensations, mm -hmm. uh, eras in history. And we're in this last one where you can expect this the age of Laodicea. <laughs> That's right, where you will then be taken up. Mm -hmm. But it's it's a relatively recent, and this is what surprises people, it's a relatively recent interpretation about Revelation. Right, right. Uh, but it has gained popularity because of several things. One, because it got incorporated into the footnotes of the Schofield Reference Bible. Right. Schofield Reference Bible was one of the most popular Bibles out there for uh, for folks, study Bibles. And, um, and people often think if it's a note in their Bible, it must be Bible. It must be Bible, it must be mm -hmm. accurate, it must be true. Right. Uh, I've often said when you're reading something like, uh, like this, you need to read from the, the Bible down to the notes, not from the notes up to the text of the mm -hmm. Bible. And that helped perpetuate it though, the, mm -hmm. the Schofield Reference Bible, and the then it, it becomes popularized in the 1970s in a very news, news popularized version with the late great planet Earth by, mm -hmm. uh, by Lindsay, Lindsay yeah. and then also it's been popularized about 25-30 years later by the Left Behind series. Yeah. So it's, it's got the press where a more cultural, mm -hmm. social, literary reading of Revelation has not. Uh, reading Revelation in a much broader perspective of what does it tell me about the nature of God, about the nature of humanity. Right. We don't read it that way. Yeah, and I, I was just thinking um, one of the th things that the voice of God or the Lamb says near the end, and you talked about this the other night, is Behold, I am making all things new. It seems like um, such a great word to kind of summarize the book of Revelation. The, the, the ongoing I am making all things new. And that seems like a good final word for this session. So thank you, Dr. May, for joining me in this episode of Heart and Mind. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And thanks to the, those of you who listened in.